50 years ago today, a match was played between Dundalk Ladies Football Club and the Manchester Corinthian Nomads, an English women's football team. As we'll hear, the game was notable in uh, the history of the sport. Joining me now to talk about it is uh, librarian Helena Byrne, who's been researching the history of women's football in Ireland. Helena, you're very welcome indeed to the History Show. Tell us, first of all, why was this game so significant? Well, this game was really significant in the history of women's football because Dundalk ladies, along with the Corinthians, were founding members of the Women's Football Association in London in 1969. And Dundalk, the team, was established in 1968, so just the year before that, by Kevin and Nan Gaynor. And they were the only club from outside England out of the 44 founding members. And this was also their first match that they'd played in Britain as well. So they were very excited from when they joined the Women's Football Association to play against a British team across the water. Now, the English Football Association, the game was played in England. The English Football Association had a ban, apparently, on women's games being played on FA-affiliated grounds. So where did the match actually take place? Well, the match took place, it was played in North Wales, but on the Prestatyn Raceway because the FA ban, which was implemented in 1921, was still in place by 1970. And um, when the FA put in that ban on affiliated grounds, they asked other footballing organisations to also implement a similar ban. And many other football associations did that. But the governing body, FIFA, in 1971, brought in uh, recognised women's football and made men's governing bodies also recognise women's football. Scotland was probably the only governing body that dragged their heels a bit on it, but if then did agree to recognise women's football. And so then after 71, we started to see more women's games taking place in affiliated football grounds. So especially some of the major, what are now premiership clubs. So this is an international club international game between an English team and Irish team played in Wales. What, what was the scoreline? Yeah. How did the game actually go? Well, there seems to be a bit of disagreement about this. Um, so a scrapbook from one of the former players from the Corinthians has the score down as 8-1. But a match report in a local newspaper, the Argos, has the score down as 7-1. And some players from the Dundalk side remember the score as being 7-1. But the, the Corinthians, they were quite an attacking side. So it's possible that they may have scored a disallowed goal. And that's where the extra goal is coming from. So it's a bit disputed, but I would say it's 7-1 was the final score. Now, it's one goal for Dundalk, but apparently it was a cracker. It was spectacular. Oh, it was fantastic. Apparently it was scored from the halfway line and it was scored by Paula Gorham, who went on to play for Ireland 11 times as well and uh, has scored many fantastic goals like that as well. And uh, also, I think the game then led to subsequently another international game because uh, uh, Prestatyn, in Wales got interested in the notion of playing Dundalk. Yeah, so the manager at the time, Kevin Gaynor, was a prolific uh, letter writer and developed lots of friendships with other footballing clubs and developed a friendship with Prestatyn. And they actually played two games. So the first match was held in April 1971. Prestatyn came to Dundalk and they played in Oriel Park. And then a few months later, then they travelled over to Wales again and played Prestatyn. And they actually had a hand in Prestatyn affiliating to the Women's Football Association. Now, I wouldn't like to give the impression that women's football in Ireland or indeed in England only goes back 50 years because you've been doing a lot of research. I know other people who've been doing a lot of research. The research has been pooled. Tell us what you found out about women and football in the late 1800s, for example. Yeah, so there's still been very little research into the history of women's soccer in Ireland. 
but there is a growing community of independent researchers looking into this subject across Europe, especially in Britain as well. And soccer really is a global game and Irish teams did travel quite a lot, often to places in Scotland and Northern England. So a group of us have come together, so myself and Martin Moore and Stuart Gibbs and Michael Keelty and Jared Farrell, we set up this project called uh, Mapping Irish Football. So it's just an online forum where we're asking people who have come across any citations to women and football of any code, Irish football, but it could be maybe a match that took place in England or there's even one citation we've gotten from a match in New York. And we're just asking people to put in all the references from any time period up until 1973 when the Women's Football Association was founded. And uh, so far we've had quite a number of nominations and the dates range back from the late 1800s up until 1973. And they cover most codes of football except for we haven't had any rugby ones yet. So that's one we're looking out for. So in the late 1800s, we have some references to when the British ladies did a tour of Ireland. So they travelled in 1895. The British ladies went to Belfast and did a, a show match. And uh, we think, we're not sure exactly, but we think it was against a men's team. And then a year later, they did another tour of Ireland and they went to Dublin and Drogheda and Dundalk in 1896. And one of the researchers, Martin Moore, has uncovered a citation to a match that took place in Lurgan in June 1896 and it was a women's v men match and this is possibly the first record of an Irish woman playing the sport that's been rec recorded in the newspapers. Obviously, like with a lot of women's hobbies and uh, activities in life, it's not always recorded in the newspapers as much as the men's. Now, in 1927, I think there was a, a match, I suppose you'd call it a de facto international between an Irish women's club and a, and a Scottish club. So the, the game must have been thriving or must have been going fairly well. Women's game must have been going fairly well in, in both countries at that stage. Yeah, so in 1927, a team called Rudder Glen from Scotland played a series of friendly matches against Edinburgh Soccer Girls in Belfast, Dundalk, uh, Dublin and Cork, and with a match again on the return back in Dublin against a local side. So we don't know too much about this team, but the Evening Herald has uh, dubbed them the First Lady Soccer Team. So if they're the first, we don't know, but that's what they've called them. There's a, a lot of firsts recorded in the newspapers over time that aren't true firsts. But the Evening Herald is quite good. It's got a team photo and it has all the names of the players. Whereas the Irish Times did carry a report of the match, but they didn't uh, give much information into the team except for with a reference to Miss Clark's penalty shot. But from the Scottish newspapers, we can also see that after this match, there was a follow-up tour where several Irish women traveled to Scotland to play a series of Ireland v Scotland matches in 27 and 28. But then in Ireland, at least, the activity seems to have died down in the 1930s. What happened? Yeah, so there still needs to be um, significant research done into this, but we know for certain that the 1935 Conditions of Employment Act, which was passed, led to the restriction of women's employment. And in the 1937, then we had the new Irish Constitution, which Article 42.1 states that a woman's place is in the home. So with all these kind of conservative legislation coming in and women's workplace activities being restricted, it must have been very difficult to form things like soccer teams because you need a lot of people. You need um, at least 22 people to be able to play a full match. But this is an area that really needs to be explored. So some of the long-standing sports that continue throughout history, um, so for camogie, golf, tennis and hockey, there still needs to be research in them to see did this legislation have any impact on 
those sports as well, whereas those sports would have been carried out by the upper classes and middle classes, so maybe didn't have as much impact as sports like soccer. Now, after that Dundalk-Corinthians match, uh, how long did it take for international competitive matches then to take off, competitive matches involving Ireland to take off? Yeah, so despite the fact that women's football was recognised by FIFA in 1971, it wasn't until 1982 that UEFA established a competition called uh, the Competition for National Representative Women's Teams. So when this was first called, 16 teams entered the competition that ran over two years, and they were divided initially into four groups based on geographic region, and the winner of each group progressed onto the quarterfinals. So the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland were in the same group as Scotland and England. And uh, needless to say, England was the biggest and more developed side, so they won the group. And this same group competed for a place in the second and third competitions, which were held in 1984 and 1987. The fourth competition ran from 1989 to 1991, but they'd kind of changed the structure of the competition and rebranded it as the first European Championship for Women. And this kind of follows the same similar format to what the contemporary uh, European Championships are. So, but this time the groups were for qualification changed, and so Ireland were Republic of Ireland were in a new group with the Netherlands and Northern Ireland, uh, playing in the group stages. Now you've done a lot of work, a lot of research on the history of women's football in Ireland, and, and as you mentioned, others are doing uh, research as well. But I, I gather the, that all of this research is still in its infancy. There are lots and lots of gaps. Definitely, and I think one of the major gaps is, is like as mentioned before, with most parts of women's lives it doesn't always get recorded in the newspapers or in the history books most of the research has to be done through oral history and as we're getting on now the living memory of the early stages of women's football is at risk so it really needs a big national oral history project something similar to what happened with the ga oral history project to really gather all the memories and also to collect any memorabilia that might be still around so i'm sure a number of people have got football programs or posters from some of the matches that were held in the 60s and 70s which would be invaluable for future research into the history of the game now i think you'd planned a 50th anniversary event with uh, players from both teams coming together but that's obviously had to be put on hold are you hoping that you'll be able to go ahead with that later in the year yes uh, definitely so we uh, were planning to host an event at the county museum dundalk because we've been in touch with some of the players from manchester and they're really keen to meet the dundalk team again but um i think we'll probably err on the side of caution and just see how the health situation develops and it'll possibly probably be next year before we can host an event uh, there wouldn't be an over 70s game involved in any of this, uh, I presume, no? Well, I was looking into maybe using um, Sabutio to, uh, you know, because that's kind of a, no chance of injuries from that unless you get a finger sprain. But because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're still very competitive teams. It doesn't matter, um, you know, how old they are. But uh, so I think Sabutio might be the or some sort of form of table football might be the safest option. Helena, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Keep up the good work there with the research into the history of the women's game in Ireland. That's uh, Helena Byrne talking about that match between Dundalk Ladies Football Club and the Manchester Corinthians, a hugely significant game when it came to the development of international women's football. That's all we've time for on this evening's programme. Details of all our items, as well as podcasts, are available on our website, rte.ie forward slash history show. 
Our researcher is Liz Gillis. Our reader tonight was Mark Manning. The History Show is a Pegasus production for RTE. For now, from me, Miles Dungan, and producer Logan Clancy, goodbye and thanks for listening.